you evolve your program to reward different partners differently, right? So a lot of reseller instances, you know, these people are working sales, marketing, and CS functions. So you might want to piece them off a little bit more. Whereas, you know, at more top of the funnel, affiliates are really just driving traffic for you and acting as a marketing acquisition channel. So when you implement these different ways for different partners to interact with you, you can help segment based on performance and become more personal, which I think makes a more successful partner Hello and welcome to the show, everyone. This is the Marketing Automation Discussion, where we unpack the tools and processes behind the best growth and backend systems out there. Today, we go deeper into partnerships. If you haven't listened to the first few segments on partnerships with Jay from Forrester.com, Bryn from Partnerstack.com, and Sanir from the Cloud Software Association, check those out right after you hear this episode. My guest today is Tyrone Lingley, the director of of partnerships at unbounce.com, where he is responsible for driving revenue growth through product, brand, and distribution partnerships. Prior to Unbounce, Ty had experience in e-commerce and B2C partnerships while he was responsible for the strategic development and leadership of retail activities, key partnerships, and community programming for Canada's top performing e-commerce company, Shoes.com. Ty is also a board member of the Cloud Software Association, where he conducts and educates partnership professionals in the B2B SaaS space. Ty has been around, at one time even working for the Olympic Games, living in several locations across Europe, Asia, and Australia. We couldn't ask for a better representative to discuss the use case showing how best to plan and execute a partner program launch. Ty is going to answer the hard questions founders and teams should ask themselves before they go to market with a partner program and how Unbounce.com in particular answered these questions while outlining one of the most well-executed partner program rollouts I've ever witnessed. We go into detail and discuss the risks of a partner program like channel conflict, last click attribution with affiliates compliance issues, nexus taxation, and product alignment. We talk about the stack. Do you need a PRM and what that build looks like if you do go that route? We talk about standard operating procedures for sales discussions with those partnership referrals. We talk about the seven steps to a go-to-market journey for Unbounce's partnership program. We actually show each individual slide that Ty put together that articulates exactly how he strategized their entire rollout. So definitely check that out. The link is in the show notes so you can follow along with those slides. I couldn't be more excited for our guest today. Let's welcome Ty to the show. Welcome to the Marketing Automation Discussion. Here's your host, my dad. Yeah, back. All right, Ty, welcome to the program. Welcome to the show. I'd like to start this discussion at the very beginning with the genesis or the why of partner programs. The question there is why a partner program in general for software providers? And the second part of that question is to help articulate that why with Unbounce's B2B SaaS use case. 
I think in general for, for software providers, it allows you to essentially scale your business because you're able to tap into partners who sell market and provide customer support on your behalf and do so kind of on a performance basis. And, you know, in turn, these partners have a better reach than you ever could and more personal relationships with the end customers. So to me, it's all about scale and, and efficiency. For us, the simple kind of answer is, you know, Unbounce achieved product market fit fairly early on after launching in 2009. And of course, like a lot of uh, SaaS companies, we hit a bit of a growth stall. And for us, a few years ago, we really just started to ideate deeply on, on growth opportunities that made sense for us. Creating a revenue share distribution channel netted out to being a, a fit for us. Okay, great. And I want to learn more about that good fit. But first, for our listeners that don't fully understand the different types of a partner program, why don't you tell us what type of partner program did you plan to achieve? Right. So I think just right off the top, like in terms of different types of of programs that, you know, it could be affiliate, ambassador, reseller, co-selling, like uh, for us, we didn't really start out from the get-go to serve one specific like channel function. Um, what we did is we kind of wanted to, uh, you know, launch, iterate and learn and kind of, you know, perform a bit of like land and expand. So that's a short way of saying we created a program knowing that one, we would have uh, lightweight customer referrals. So existing customers who are big kind of advocates for Unbounce who would make more lightweight casual referrals. We also knew that there would be affiliates, um, content publishers, educators, et cetera, who would act in, in a traditional uh, affiliate capacity. But also since a third of our customers are agencies, we knew that eventually uh, we'd have agency customers and partners uh, who would want to become resellers. So we started out with the end in mind being that we wanted to evolve and progress into more sophisticated individualized partner programs. But what we had to do is just go to market and grab uh, a lot of partners, so to speak, to be able to learn from them and iterate and evolve into those future kind of partner segments. That's great to hear. Yeah, I did want to make sure that we got that out so everyone understands that there is a progression there. There are different types of partner programs that you could aim for with the strategy. You know, some companies will just go directly to reseller as the goal, but for certain SaaS and for certain companies, maybe they stop at affiliate and ambassador. So I wanted to get that out. Now let's go ahead and talk about the good fit that you mentioned. What makes it a good fit? Um, for us, like, as I mentioned before, we achieved product market fit early. So we, we clearly, like, there was a clear demand um, for marketers to build and test custom landing pages, like without IT or developers. And we knew as a market leader, uh, we were meeting this uh, demand. So we created the right sales efficiencies and inbound marketing strategies that were, were working well. So we knew that that was going for us. And, um, you know, we achieved a pretty significant uh, ARR number with, with these efficiencies. And because 90% of our businesses uh, our business was coming in self-serve. Um, we felt that like the value prop was quite clear and solved an obvious problem. Um, and so, you know, it's pretty hard to expect partners to succeed at selling your product if your own marketing or sales teams can. So we believe that we had gotten pretty good at this. And so that made it a, like a top line fit, so to speak. 
Got it. Okay. So you had product market fit, you had sales efficiencies, and you sounded like you had some strong demand signals for this type of a program. So what were some of the other hard questions you asked yourselves during this phase of the business? Yeah, good question. Uh, well, first, we really wanted to question kind of the risk versus the upside of the program. So there's a lot of risks associated with channel uh, partner channel programs, things like channel conflict with sales teams, you know, the whole concept of last attribution with affiliates, there's compliance issues, there's nexus taxation, and then there's all the eternal things with, you know, having product teams aligned to, to go to market with a proper channel program. The first thing or question we asked ourselves was really like, what is the risk? And we took the time to understand those known risks in this endeavor. And then we also took the time to understand the upside. And this was primarily looking at things like the impact on revenue, uh, acquisition costs, and, and you know, lifetime value uh, improvements. Okay. So I would like to go a little bit deeper into the conflicts there to the potential risks. This is very, very important. I mean, product market fit aside, your company, your organization has to be able to overcome and deal with and obviously strategize around and have a product and a process, an organizational structure to be able to get around and overcome these risks, right? Um, so let's go through those one more time. So you mentioned channel conflict. Can you give us the short description of what channel conflict is? Yeah. I mean, it's anytime like, and I'll just give an example for us, you know, a sales rep comes and says, Hey, you know, I have a, a customer who's, who's upset that uh, they've started the unbounced trial. They're a few months in, and now they've found out that there was this ability to uh, have a discount if they'd gone through a partner. So there's that kind of conflict. There's also, you know, when, when reps are, are comped on commission, you know, there's competing, like who brought in the deal, who has to get comped, et cetera. So there's, there's all sorts of conflict issues that can come up when you outsource uh, sales with a, with a channel program. Um, I talked a little bit about uh, last click attribution. So really, you know, marketing teams, uh, there's a lot of inertia around like, Hey, we put all this amazing marketing content only to have the customer like at last click come through a partner at the last second, they kind of get a deal and come through. Like that's very traditional. Um, and then I'd mentioned, you know, there's, there's compliance issues, nexus taxation, which, you know, can add up to a whole bunch of issues for a company. So, uh, yeah, like the risks were big and this is why we took about a year to kind of launch our program. And so we went through each one of those things uh, in detail. That helps. The point being, there are a lot of potential conflicts that you need to address that should be involved in the planning. Make sure that there is ownership, there's tracking, there is, um, there's everything you need to get around those conflicts. So they don't prevent you from having a successful partner program. Um, now, part of that is software. So I do want to talk real quickly about how you bolstered your partner program. What was the first iteration of the stack to manage your partnership operations in general? That's, that's both sales, marketing, tracking, the whole nine yards. And then how did you plan to progress that into what it is today or did it naturally evolve? So talk about what it was planned to be and what it was day one and then how that actually came to be what it is today and what is it? So um, we like... Our own experience was, uh, of course, taking probably a bit longer lead time uh, to launch a program like this. 
Um, and so when you talk about attribution, I think that for us, it was all about um, solving, of course, for the end customer, but also for the, the partner and providing uh, the different segments that I had spoken to before. Like, you know, we knew we wanted to have uh, cater to lightweight customer referrals um, to affiliates and to potentially agency resellers. We needed to understand what was important for them. So by the time we had um, gone through uh, all of the planning, we really arrived at understanding what we needed. We went with uh, a software called PartnerStack um, because, of course, it allows simple things like 90-day tracking on all links. So anybody who's used to the more traditional affiliate model of utilizing a, a link, um, we made that available for them. There also is the ability to submit leads. Um, so some partners like to submit leads. And then also uh, with our Salesforce integration with PartnerStack, uh, agency resellers are able to submit deals. Let me stop you right there because this is an important one. The difference between a affiliate link tracker or even just link tracking using a lot of early stage partner programs, we'll just start with the UTM-based system. You're talking about a much bigger leap than that, where I, as uh, an affiliate of Unbalanced Potential Reseller, but let's call it an affiliate, I am able to actually go into my dashboard um, and submit a lead uh, that could just be an email. So I don't have to send out a whole bunch of UTM-based links or, or custom links that you provide me. I can actually go into your partner stack instance and provide you with uh, whoever I believe is in my network that I have spoken to and referred to Unbounce. And then that is tracked via this third party. So talk to me real quickly about how that setup looks and why you did it. I mean, what is the difference in mentality than just providing your potential partners with a tracking link? Right. So when we talk just probably about the mentality of the partner in your program, um, as I mentioned before, like an affiliate, what they're used to, of course, are these links um, that are tracked for 90 days through cookies. It allows people to kind of come through in a self-serve manner. And this is kind of what's the norm and what these partners are used to. Um, but then when we get into like lead submission and deal submission, you have, you know, places like agencies um, who don't want their end client to have to pretty much do anything. They're coming to them as the trusted advisor or expert. And so essentially the, submitting, uh, you know, a lead or a deal reg allows them to um, input that into the back end of partner stack for us, let them know that they're working it and thereby the end client doesn't really see uh, anything that the partner does not want them to see. That is very important, especially with those partners that you really want, those people that have the large network of be it clients or followers or fans even they do not want to interrupt that relationship with a tracking link that they're just going to hand as a potential referral to unbounce in this situation i mean their relationship with their clients and followers and fans is more valuable than trying to get your uh, your 20% or whatever your referral fee is. So in this situation, you deemed it necessary to have a third-party tool that allows these resellers to give you contacts that they're working so that they do not ever have to give a custom tracked link to that contact. This third party is tracking their referrals to Unbounce. 
Exactly. And also for them, it's just like, you know, I guess the question becomes like, who's, who's ultimately servicing the end customer. Um, and then these type of relationships, they are so, and that's what'll help you evolve your program to reward different partners differently. Right. So a lot of reseller instances, you know, these people are working sales, marketing and CS functions. So you might want to piece them off a little bit more. Whereas, you know, at more top of the funnel affiliates are really just driving track for you and acting as a marketing acquisition channel. So when you implement these different ways for different partners to interact with you, you can help segment based on performance and become more personal, which I think makes a more successful successful partner program. And you may have multiple types of payouts, which definitely requires a very robust system. Now, before we go on to the next question, I just want to have you explain the third-party PRM and the integration or how that sits on top of the CRM, meaning how do those systems talk to each other and why do you need both? Why do you need Salesforce and PartnerStack? Why don't I just use my Salesforce instead yeah. For us, it was all about um, pretty much convenience. You know, like we we really wanted the ability to to pay out um, affiliates, partner or sorry, affiliate partners, uh, resellers, and and customer referrals in a way that worked for them. And uh, we chose a platform that enabled us to to fulfill payouts uh, that way. Um, for us, I wanted to create this pro, you know program internally to be as autonomous as possible. So meaning like I wanted to control how we were marketing to partners um, and be able to make decisions quickly. So we actually facilitate all of our program communications through the CRM and messaging function within PartnerStack. Um, the Salesforce integration allows us at the deal submission uh, stage or lead submission stage, speak to our sales team who operates off of Salesforce and know what's coming their way. Does that make any sense? It's very important. I mean, you your marketing team may sit in a marketing automation software like Autopilot. And they may live in there most of the time. Your sales team is obviously going to live and die by Salesforce. Now, your partnership team, which is what listeners you're aiming for, you want a full-fledged partnership team, especially when you realize how much revenue your partner program can bring in. Um, they are going to need a system to live in, and all of those systems need to talk to each other. So you mentioned when a partner comes through the funnel, they register, which then creates a new record in Salesforce, a new contact in Salesforce. And that contact is tagged appropriately, has the appropriate status. It is known by sales that that person is a partnership referral and they know the operations to work that person uh, however you would like them to work it. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. And um, tell me what you tell your salespeople and how that SOP looks from a new lead coming through your partner page. And what does Unbounce do with regards to approaching that refer? Right. So the lead would come in through Salesforce and it would look uh, similar to the deals that uh, our AEs are working on. And so most importantly, our AEs are kind of divided into those who speak to agencies and those who speak to marketers on teams. Um, it is identified that it's a, a lead coming from the partner program. So there's a good frame of reference there. Um, so when especially our agency AEs coming in to work the deal, they can also look at the partner. Um, and then there's the ability also to do some like three-legged calls, et cetera. Like they can pre-plan how they want to treat uh, this, this, this lead that's coming in. And having the partner 
there as a referral and frame of reference gives us obviously a little bit more credibility coming through word of mouth, possibly they're a client, but also it enables us to kind of bring them into the conversation as we see fit. Um, that's for working a lead. When someone's come through on the flip side, you know, when, when someone comes through in a more lightweight manner, like through a, a referral link, so to speak, um, our onboarding team, you know, you talked about outsourcing onboarding to two partners. We handle that right now in, in-house at Unbounce. Uh, within 15 minutes, every new trial start gets a call from our onboarding team. And so when done properly, our onboarding team knows exactly where uh, this person that they're speaking with who started a new trial has come from. They can reference the partner. And so there's a little bit more context there. They're able to look at, you know, how did they come through? What piece of content did, I, did they digest getting there? So there's just a little bit more talking points and kind of depth of understanding of, of, of who this uh, new customer is and, and how they arrived uh, where they did. That's great. And I am, again, very interested in the flow and the touch points and the conversation that you you would have with me if I was referred by someone in your partner program, your customer success or your sales support, your SDRs, your AEs, whoever I talk to first knows that I was referred by John and John owns an agency. Do you have specific SOPs per partner or do you have a standard operating procedure for all partners where you tell your salespeople or your customer success to mention that partner by name or by company name. How does that unfold and what have you seen good or bad best practices around mentioning the recommendation? Because I, I ask specifically because especially in this new world of partnerships where I can hand you my entire database and say, hey, these are all the people that I just sent an email about your program or maybe I didn't send an email. I just have them in my database and now I'm giving them to your salespeople to work as leads. Maybe I don't want you to mention me. So tell me how that works. Yeah, that's that last instance that you spoke of, that's just not something that we do. As far as like SOPs and process, it really boils down to how we treat our 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 segments. So we have we've segmented our partner program and depending on which segment a referral or reseller, basically the end customer comes through, um, we know how we're going to speak with them. So we do reference our partners. We find that that's kind of best practice for us just to provide that context, which, you know, demonstrates that we know them and we understand their business. So it's kind of building upon trust that way. Um, so our processes really boil down to the, the segments that we've created by partner type. Um, and then, of course, what nets out is a lot of uh, the, the the business that our partners bring us. Um, we have segments uh, that our end customers fall into as well. And so there's different scripting and messaging and, and ways that uh, our AEs and onboarding teams speak to someone, whether they're a marketer at a SaaS company or perhaps they're, they're uh, an agency themselves. Um, or they're an e-com company. So we get further into that and it's all based on the segmentation work that we've done. That's wonderful. That's important for everyone to understand how they actually articulate the relationship to the new refer about the partner. I think that's a very important one. So I wanted to get that out there. So thank you for helping me understand the stack and setup and the SOPs that you have with your team between sales and software. Okay. So now that we've tackled the hard question, we got that out of the way. Let's talk about the journey of how you guys went to market pre and post launch with your partner program. And again, for the listeners, we do have a visual 
that we'll link to in the show notes. But Ty, why don't you go through those seven steps located in one of the slides that you mentioned and, and explain what that is. Sure. So yeah, these are just seven like high level points that kind of in our journey that we went through that were kind of contributed from early adoption internally, like getting buy-in right into to going to launch. Uh, so the first was interviewing um, other partner people. And so for me, this was really important because, uh, one, my peers in, in the, in the SAS community are incredibly generous. Um, so I felt like they would be a great place to start in trying to understand the value their organizations see from, uh, from partner programs. And the second is that I really just wanted to show uh, that partner programs contribute to 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 revenue because at the end of the day you're going to have to demonstrate numbers, especially if you're going to make this big investment up front into doing this the right way. Um, so the first was interviewing uh, my peers uh, in other B two B SaaS companies. I interviewed over twenty people, um, and I asked them, you know, everything from like what's going well, what's tricky, what would you do differently, and then of course where where possible, getting into to hard numbers. And, you know, what I found was, is, you know, these programs uh, on average contributed to 15 to like 25% uh, of total revenues at these SaaS companies. So it was really eye-opening to see how much of total revenues these channel programs accounted for. And so, of course, along the way, I documented all of these interviews, added numbers in where possible. So as an appendix to my pitch to, to our exec team, I, you know, I demonstrated I had gone through this interview process. So I'd say for anybody who's uh, thinking about or, or going to launch a partner program, doing your homework and some due diligence by speaking to those who have gone before you uh, just adds more credibility to, to getting the buy-in you really need to launch this program. Um, the second was just, you know, finding demand signals and exploring them. And so, you know, as I'd mentioned, you know, Unbounce at the time, we had been in the market for probably seven years. And when someone, you know, internally was like, hey, like, I know that you were thinking about doing this. Uh, what is this something that people want? And so I worked with our CS team to dig through uh, over 300 CS tickets. Um, and I looked at the nature of those tickets. And, and a lot of them were um, do you have a reseller program? Are, are you an affiliate? Oh my God, like you guys must not like making money because I refer you all the time. Like uh, the whole gamut of, of people who wanted to be a part of uh, a quote unquote partner program. And what I really realized was one, um, it wasn't just customers. It was also non-customers who were interested in this. So clearly there was marketers who understood the value prop of, of Unbounce and felt like they could uh, take this to market with their audience. And then of course we did have customers. So that kind of sent me down this path of, you know, perhaps to begin with the program should be open uh, to both people who are customers and non-customers, not gating it too hard. Um, and then the other thing was, is it became very apparent that there was these different types of partners who would be, um, you know, referring, reselling uh, in different ways. And then, so this, of course, led me to the third point, which is we, we segmented our, our partners. And so we did find uh, the three segments emerged that I mentioned before, which were really uh, affiliates. Uh, you know, those are content uh, producers, publishers, uh, and educators. There's uh, 
marketers who are more of our customers. That's the segment we call them marketers. They are our customers who are making more lightweight referrals. And then of course, in the end, uh, we had agencies and those are people with, with higher touch relationships who are holding more of the sales marketing and CS functions who ultimately uh, at the highest level are interested in reselling uh, your software or our software. Uh, the fourth thing we did was, was we really created informed um, projections. So I took a look at from a very top level, um, one, our customer base, then our marketing database and kind of looked at, you know, uh, conversion numbers that other partners, other sort of other companies had seen as to, okay, of these people who would become companies who would become partners and then how likely would this partner be to make a referral and so i did this by segment and we ended up you know making basic uh, revenue projections uh, but we were also able to get into the depth of, of cac and ltv ratios and at the end of the day what i wanted to demonstrate was uh, the return on investment for year one and look at improved uh, cac to ltv uh, calculations while also providing kind of insight into um, revenue by by segment. So that was the, the, the fourth thing that we did that I think really helped us sell this thing internally. Um, the fifth was finding the right platform partner. And we discussed this before we, we went with a, a partner stack. Um, and there's a few reasons. So one, um, their modern day take on partner programs is is really aligned with how I wanted to go to market, meaning this deep segmentation work that we had done uh, aligned well with how they were set up. So because they offered you the ability to have traditional link tracking to submit leads or to register deals that aligned well with the segments that we had in place, plus their platform was very um, it was, it's easy to segment messaging. So meaning you can create different onboarding tracks for different partner types. Um, you can communicate with them, um, differently and, and, and partner stack really allows you to, to do this. So the degree of personalization you can get at the partner level, we really liked. And then of course, uh, all of the logistics on handling compliance, et cetera, you know, right down to, to Nexus taxation, a lot of stuff, partner stack really helped us, uh, to perform a lot of those functions. So finding the right platform partner was, was really important. Addressing the risks. So Alex, I had mentioned before all of the risks, primarily um, this concept of, of channel conflict or, or cannibalization of existing channels. Um, we got into a fairly uh, detailed cannibalization calculator, uh, which if anyone's really interested in, I can, I can share partner stack helped us develop this. And it really kind of, helped mitigate any inertia in and around that because the hard numbers were just demonstrated in the value of this program incrementally over and above uh, the marketing work we were already doing. Um, and the next thing was, was Nexus taxation. So we put in a lot of the hard yards ourselves uh, in beta. And what we did was we kind of limited anybody who's into the program uh, based on the, the Nexus taxation from their state. Um, knowing that by the time we went public, we wanted to work through all of this so that we could open it up to, to everybody. Um, and we did that. So under, addressing the risks early on, especially in beta, allowed us to be a fully open and compliant program at launch uh, in terms of, of Nexus taxation. And then the last thing is, is really, it's just simple project management and, and shout out to uh, our product marketing team who really helped me scope the program. Um, I think it's really important to understand all of the work uh, 
that goes into launching this type of program, all of the different departments and cross-functional efforts that are required uh, beforehand, because you need buy-in uh, across the board and getting the right buy-in involves understanding the scope of work that's in front of you. And so we scoped the program very, very early. Um, and that also contributed to, to the buy-in and ultimate success of, of the program. And so, yeah, those are the seven points that kind of at a high level we went through to get us to, to market. And as Alex mentioned, uh, we can share that presentation uh, in a link afterwards. This is amazing. I mean, it's incredibly valuable to see how much thought you put into every aspect of the program from segmentation, from actually interviewing, how you actually went through the MarTech landscape and chose B2B SaaS organizations with a similar deal size or LTV, I imagine, as Unbounce, as well as a program that had been around for long enough to see if it's viable. And you interviewed as many of those program managers as you could to get um, some really awesome insight. And then you went in and dissolved everything as much as you could to know exactly what's going on from the buyer intent to the journey to everything from all the risks and all the steps that you needed to get that program up and running. I can't imagine how much buy-in you needed from both sales and marketing, but with these types of full-fledged programs, there's a lot of costs involved. There's a lot of time involved. And partner programs, as my experience has showed me, it's, it's not something that generates positive ROI overnight. But when the positive ROI starts pumping it, it, uh, it hockey sticks. It goes, it goes very quickly, but it's not overnight. It's not like you are just creating a PPC campaign and throwing traffic at a landing page. It takes a lot more than that. And then there's partner enablement, there's internal culture, all of that stuff that needs to go into it. So the planning that you did, the result of the planning as the proof, it just shows exactly what you need to do to make sure you have a successful partner program like Ty built for Unbounce. And everything you should know and understand when planning a new partner program launch, everything that went into it. Thank you so much, Ty, for being on today. Anything that you want to leave everyone with, where can they go to get started in the partnership program? Where does the link sit? We'll obviously put it in the show notes, but if they're traveling, where can they go? And then obviously, what can they do to stay in touch, to follow you and maybe mention the Cloud Software Association as well? Yeah, sure. I mean, if you want to connect with me, I'm on LinkedIn for sure. It's just Ty Lingley. You can, you can find me there. And um as far as the Cloud Software Association goes, it's awesome. I sit on the board there. It's a group of all of the, the partnerships, people that you need to, to network with and, and to help grow partnership programs. They're all under one roof in this association. It's like an instant Rolodex. Um, it's an amazing resource. Uh, we have a wicked Slack channel where the the value of the, the advice and content that's be giving on the Slack channel is is amazing. And uh, I know how hard it is for for partnership people because it's not an obvious function at especially at SaaS companies. It means different things at different organizations. So it's often hard to to get the knowledge that you need and really learning from your peers is the best way. And those people oftentimes are not in your company. So you need to connect externally. So that's my plug for the Cloud Software Association, I would say join, uh, get into the Slack channel, and we have an annual event every year in San Francisco. That is absolutely incredible. Um, and then I guess my last like parting piece of wisdom that I've come to understand is these partner channels aren't for everybody. So it might not be a fit for you and your organization yet. 
And as, as Alex had mentioned, it's not like you can just flip them on overnight and expect results. You know, often it takes uh, establishing product market fit, creating those sales efficiencies, having a bit of brand recognition in the, in the marketplace. Like, so before you bang your head against the wall and, and do all of this work, um, really asks yourself some hard questions as to whether it's right for your organizations. I have a decision tree that I work off of that wasn't shared in this uh, podcast, and I'm more than happy to share that with uh, anybody else who's considering uh, launching a partner program at their organization. That would be wonderful. And again, very, very appreciative. Definitely for those who are in partnerships at a software company, check out the Cloud Software Association. There's a link to get involved in the Slack group. I've gotten so much value out of that. If you're interested in Unbounce, obviously there's a partner programs link link in the bottom. That's a great partnership program to be involved with if you're an agency or a reseller or, or just someone that believes that they can make uh, some money and, and help their, their clients and customers out with that. Definitely reach out to Ty. He's on LinkedIn. He's everywhere. He's all over the planet all the time. So you may bump into him at a conference here and there. Thank you for being on the show. And, and, and for everyone listening, check out the presentation. We'll have a link to download that so you can follow along there and there will be a video on automated as well as partnerprograms.io. We'll publish it there. Uh, Ty, thank you for being on the show and I'll talk to you in Slack. Thank you very much, Alex. Take care.